0: Welcome to the Hunt Back Country podcast today. This is episode number 310, and we're talking about hunting that's coming in a handful of months. As this episode's released, it is September of 2021, and you're probably busy maybe hunting elk or deer or some other species this month, maybe next month, maybe even for months to come. But the question is, do you have something planned or can you plan something for this January? Or February. And I know that's not a normal time to take a hunting trip, but that's what we're talking about today. There are quote unquote, off season opportunities that you can know about. And today we're speaking specifically about javelina and how you can also combine that with a mule deer hunt. And so, especially if you're an archery guy, this would be a great excuse when it is cold and your hunting season at home is probably shut down. You could go south, get some warmer temperatures, chase javelina and mule deer, and potentially even coos deer with your bow. We're zoning in on the javelina piece today, but we talk about those combination opportunities as well. My guest is John from the Big Game Hunting blog, and he has quite a bit of experience hunting javelina in states such as Arizona and New Mexico. So we talk about why you would want to do this hunt, how to plan it, and a very timely aspect of an application deadline that's coming soon. So I hope you guys enjoy this episode. As always, we appreciate you tuning in. If you have a question, suggestion, or hunting story for us, send an email to podcast at xomountgear.com. But right now, let's dive into this conversation with John. Well, John, welcome back to the Hunchback Country podcast. How are you doing today?
1: I'm doing really good, Mark. Um, it is really good to be back on the show. Yeah. Being back,
0: your prior episode uh, was number 258, and it was called Hunting with Muzzle Loaders How and Why to Get Started. So if listeners missed that episode or are interested uh, in learning about hunting with a muzzle loader, not only how to do that, but again, covering the why. Um, that'd be a great show to go back to. I was in that camp myself when we recorded that episode and honestly still am, still haven't started with the muzzle loader yet. It still is something that I want to do to not only learn something new, which I always enjoy, but uh to increase opportunity for different seasons, different tags and things like that. So uh if you like me are in that position where you want to learn more, that's definitely a good uh, a good podcast to go back to, but John, just a quick intro. You um, you have a lot of things going on, different websites and things like that. Your own podcast, for example. But just
1: a quick like introduction, background, if listeners are uh, maybe new to hearing from you. Yeah, sure. You know, so I used to be in the army, and uh, about gosh, it was almost nine years ago now. I, I was in Afghanistan, in 2012. I started a hunting blog. Um, just as kind of something to do when I was deployed um, because I was, you know, kind of lonely and and bored and whatnot when I wasn't, you work a lot over there, but you do have a little bit of downtime. And that was one of the things I started doing. And it started um, uh, talking about just some of my personal hunting experiences and telling stories over the years. And then that kind of gradually transitioned into more informative uh, articles, really answering a lot of questions that I remember having when I was a newer hunter that I learned along the years that I knew that a lot of people would be interested in themselves. And I got a lot of traction with that stuff. You know, in particular, I've done a lot of cartridge comparisons on the blog over the years, you know, the, the differences between the seven millimeter Remington Magnum, the 300 Winchester Magnum, the 270 versus 30 out six, that sort of stuff. And, you know, the blog has Done great! It has grown by leaps and bounds, you know, over the course of the past almost decade. In 2019, I started a podcast called The Big Game Hunting Podcast. My blog is The Big Game Hunting Blog. Then I started the podcast talking about a lot of those same things that are on there, uh, but I also, um, I, I also have a lot of cool guests from all over the hunting industry. You've been on the show, Joseph von Benedict's been on the show. Um, I've had. Uh, Ron Spomer on, Brittany Boddington, uh, Kevin Robertson to talk a lot about hunting in Africa and that sort of thing. And so the whole point of that podcast is to, paired with the blog, to help people get ready for whatever their hunting adventure is that they've been dreaming of, whether that is, you know, going out and hunting deer, uh, close to their house or out East or going out West for hunting, you know, pronghorn mule deer or elk, or going overseas to like New Zealand, uh, to hunt stag or tar or going to Africa to hunt. Uh, I talk about, Uh, a lot about what you need to do to do that and especially what sort of equipment, especially kind of on the firearm and ammunition side, what is appropriate for that stuff and in the trade-offs of, you know, going this route, you know, versus that route. Yeah, I like it. That's cool. It's, um, I was actually just scrolling back through your podcast
0: and some recent episodes. And as you said, it's, you know, our podcast is, pretty focused on Western hunting and obviously backcountry hunting and deer and elk and bear and sheep and those things. But it was cool to see that you had some episodes on Africa and there's obviously, I think just knowing personally, some guys who've gone to Africa and me never having gone to Africa, there can be a lot of misconceptions about what it means and what it looks like to hunt in Africa. And so just seeing your diversity and your guests and the topics, it's it's nice to have another resource out there to go check out some different
1: opinions and experiences and stuff like that. So it's pretty cool. You know, Africa is an extremely large and diverse place. And the hunting, of course, varies from place to place as well, both in what game you can hunt there, what the terrain is like how the hunts are conducted. And that is a question I've gotten a lot from people like, you know, what's, what's the real deal there? Cause you can talk to five different people that have hunted five different places in Africa and get five wildly different experiences that are all great in their own way. But you know, they're not necessarily what is going to work for everybody, and so it's funny that you mentioned that. I've had uh, two episodes in particular here recently. Let me check and see exactly what numbers they were, but I talked a lot about my experiences, and then I interviewed Phil Maserro, talking about, uh, and talked to him about a lot of experiences and places he's been that I haven't been, just mm-hmm. to really give people a feel for. What it's like. You know, you go to Namibia and it's going to be like this. You're going to go to South Africa and it's going to be like that. And, you know, uh, uh, Zambia, Tanzania, they're all going to be different. And like I said, they're all great in their own way. But if you go to uh, the wrong part of Africa with inappropriate expectations, then you can have a bad time. And so mm-hmm. it's episode 156 and 157 are those two I was just referring to. So that'd be an interesting place to start for someone that was just interested in learning about hunting in Africa. Yeah, cool. Well, today um, we
0: wanted to talk about some opportunities here in the States uh, that don't fall in the wheelhouse of things we've talked about much on the podcast, hunts that I haven't done, that Steve has not done, know plenty of personal friends who have done them. So it's been fun to hear about stories and it's something I have an interest in uh, and you have some experience in, and that is hunting down in the southwest uh you've hunted new mexico and arizona and those states we particularly want to talk a little bit about javelina um, and get this episode out in a timely manner because there's actually an application deadline for javelina um, coming up here soon in october and it is a draw species for most javelin hunts but the cool thing with hunting javelina especially in Arizona, is you can pair that then with an over-the-counter archery deer tag and the timing of the hunt. And so, you know, there's so many hunting opportunities out West in August, September, October, November, some carry on into December. Javelin is one of those things you can get into the new year and you can take a quote unquote off season. Uh, hunt down to Arizona where it's warm and sunny and not, you know, completely snow covered as many parts of the West tend to be and escape and, and keep hunting. Um, and so there's a lot to cover there and touch on, but I guess let's just start with what is your personal experience? Like when did you start
1: hunting down there in the Southwest and what drew you to it? Sure. You know, so I was in the army for a long time, and so was my wife. And I got out several years ago. Back when we lived up in Washington, uh, she had a few years left on her commitment, and uh, so we moved actually down to Fort Bliss, which is in El Paso, Texas. It is far, far, far west Texas. Yeah, it is. Um, I just moved out to East Texas, and I had to drive. I think it was 817 miles from uh, my house in El Paso to my house out here, and it was all in the same state. And so it's in its own time zone, uh, culturally, economically, it is very much uh, closer tied to New Mexico than it is to the rest of Texas. And so, you know, it's just like I said, just kind of out there. But the really cool thing about it is, is that it is. Um, in a really good location to go hunt a lot of those western states. I lived eight miles from the New Mexico border when I lived in El Paso, and Arizona was just a, a couple-hour drive. And you know, Colorado was a little bit farther, but it was still um, within a reasonable driving distance to get to a lot of parts of the state. And gosh, even you could get up to Wyoming. It, it, that's a that's a funny. Um, a, f- a funny anecdote, it was this, about the same driving distance for me to drive from El Paso to Houston as it was for me to drive from El Paso up to Wyoming. Really? Uh, it's, uh, yeah, the southeastern part of Wyoming near near Laramie. It's almost exactly the same distance time-wise, driving it, you know, 11, 12 hours. Wow. Um, so I hunted Wyoming for pronghorn one year, hunted pronghorn in Colorado, hunted uh, deer, elk, javelina in uh, New Mexico and then uh, coos deer in Arizona. And so my first year down there was the hunting season, the 2017 hunting season. I moved there in the summer and I knew that I was going to um, be there for hunting season. So I made sure I applied for the hunting draws in uh, New Mexico before I left Washington and I pulled the mule deer tag down there. Great. Really excited about doing that. Rifle deer tag in October. And so I got out there This area that I was going to hunt a couple days before the season started and I was camping out there. My plan was it was a five day season. I was going to be there for seven days to include two days prior to the season to scout and then just hunt this, basically hunt either until the season ended or until I killed something. And so I was out there my first evening. So I get out there that afternoon, set up camp, go out that first evening to scout for deer. Don't see any deer that evening, but I'm walking back to my car in the pitch black and, um, the wind is in my face. I just got my headlamp on, I'm, I'm walking through the grass out there and I hear something rustling in the grass in front of me and then it stops and then I stop and there's a pause. And then I hear, and then just something just run off, take off, running through the bush and just scared the heck out of me. And I, (laughs) I looked with my, uh, with my headlamp and saw it wasn't a big animal that ran away. I was like, what the heck was that? Like, that's not a bear you know, I don't know what, what it was. And so I went back to my, uh, my car and I pulled open the hunting regulations. I was like, Holy cow, there's javelina here. That, that had to be what it was. It wasn't, like I said, it wasn't very big. It looked kind of like a pig. And uh, I was like, man, I wonder if I can hunt them. And so I saw that some of the hunts in New Mexico are draw for javelina, but the, one of the cool things that they have is there is an over-the-counter uh, season that they have in some units, uh, but that's, you know, January, February, March, but if you have a deer or elk tag you can buy an over the counter havelina tag and then hunt havelina during the same dates in the same unit and with the same weapon as you have for your for your deer tag so if you, you know, if you have a rifle deer tag it's a 5 day hunt you could buy an, a, a javelina tag and then you know, shoot a havelina if you encountered one on your deer hunt I was like man I had no idea And I saw all kinds of javelina out there on this deer hunt. And that was actually one of the first animals that I glassed up down there. The next day was another javelina and I didn't end up shooting a javelina on that hunt, but Um, I, like I said, I saw a bunch of them and it just kind of got my, my, uh, the wheels of my head turning and I ended up shooting a a a buck right at the end of the hunt out there. And so I had a great time and I was like, okay, man, I'm coming back to this place next year and I forgot to buy a javelina tag, uh, but I drew a deer tag and, um, I had another great hunt out there and just saw javelina everywhere. And so the next year I was like, all right, I'm coming back and I want to, I'm going to have both tags. And so I drew this year, a muzzleloader deer tag and, then I picked up one of those over-the-counter javelina tags. I was like, okay, I'm going to have this out there with me. And so I encountered a bunch of javelina, but just was not, they were really far away and I was not able to close the deal on them. And it's one of those things too, right? You know, if you have an extra tag like that, sometimes it can kind of pull you in a different direction and distract you from what your main goal is out there. In this case, it was deer. And so uh, I, I tried to kind of focus on the deer for the rest of the hunt. And as it turns out, I didn't didn't end up getting anything when that's how it goes sometimes. Yeah. But Since I still had that tag though, it was good when the regular over-the-counter season started um, in mid-January was when it would start there. So it goes like January 16th to March 31st. So I went back out uh, during that season. Nobody was out there. It was just me. Had a great hunt. Ended up shooting a javelina. Came back, did it again the next year. And then my last season there, which was this this most recent one, I decided... um, you, it's an any, any weapon hunt. And so I decided I'm going to go out there with a muzzle loader this year and do it. And, uh, and so I made a point of doing it and, and that's kind of, you know, what, uh, what I wanted to talk to you about today. Yeah, that's awesome. It's, um, you know, I even
0: mentioned it to introduce the topic of so many guys treat javelinas like it's this combination hunt, right? Like it's another opportunity while you're hunting deer. Um, but then I've talked to some folks who they just get by the, bit by the bug of javelina, which is interesting because they're, you know, they're small. They're not, you know, you're not taking home antlers. They tend to not eat very well. They're stinky little critters, but some guys really just get the bug, man, and start loving hunting
1: them specifically. And it sounds like you got a touch of that. I mean it's really true. You know, so I grew up hunting in East Texas and there's a lot of feral hogs out here and when I was uh, in the army my first duty station was in Georgia and there was a lot of hogs there and so I hunted them you know for, for years and I have years and years and years of experience hunting hogs. And Helena and feral hogs are not the same they're actually not closely related at all, but they do kind of look, this look similar. They behave kind of similar and there are some, some um, similarities in how they're hunted and, and like hunting feral hogs. They are just really fun to hunt. And so, yeah, you know, I, I'm, um, it's one of those things that even though I live all the way on the other side of the state now, I really want to make it back out to New mexico and and make that twelve hour drive and and hunt javelina again uh, this year. and there's not a lot of animals that uh, that I would want to do that for.
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: I may have missed it with New Mexico. I think in
0: Arizona, there's uh, and again, there's different regulations for different units, so I can't speak in a total generality here. but I think you can get to javelina in in
1: many places in Arizona. Does that sound correct? Yes, that that is right. the The okay. state limit is to Havelina. Okay. and they have and uh, some of them are over the counter. They're all archery, as far as I know, that are over the counter, and those mm-hmm. those hunts run. They basically, as far as I know, they mirror the the coos deer season. So you can hunt them in I think October through January, uh, depending on the unit and all that stuff. Then there's there's a special archery javelina season that runs one to twenty January this year. Mm-hmm. they have a youth season that you have to draw that that goes uh, late January then they have a ham hunt which is a handgun archery muzzleloader hunt which is mid or early to mid February and then a general hunt uh that goes late February uh so yeah some of them overlap with the deer hunts some of them are over the counter some of them are draw but the uh, um, as far as i can remember the the regular archery the youth season the ham and the general season are, um, our draw and their deadline, uh, is normally mid October. I think this year is 12 October.
0: Yeah. I did look up to confirm it is 12 October. Um, and most of those, if, if guys are interested in doing that combo hunt in January with archery, um, most of the guys that I personally know who hunt Havelina and, and do that hunt combo with deer, it is mostly the draw. And as you said, it's January one to January 20, somewhere right in there. And it's pretty cool because you could be in an area hunting javelina and then also have this archery deer tag, which that is actually over the counter. And for most of that season in most units and could be used for coos deer or mule deer. So essentially have a couple tags, three potential species all in the same hunt in January, which again, most guys are not hunting that time. So that's, what's really cool is thinking of getting away at that time of year. And is a non-resident? It's still um, still pretty affordable. I looked close at the numbers. I think so. You you need to get your Arizona license, which is one hundred and sixty, as a non-resident. Uh, the Lena tag was one fifteen, and then the non-resident archery deer tag is three fifteen. Um, so that's kind of a, a brief cost breakdown for Arizona specifically. Um, you may have mentioned that in there for New Mexico, but is that also where you can get a couple of Javelina or is
1: that limited to one? As far as I know, New Mexico is just one Javelina. Uh, okay. the non-resident tag is $165 and, uh, you know, it's quite obviously quite a bit less expensive than that uh, for residents. And, you know, it's a, it's it's an interesting deal with both states. You know, I have a friend of mine uh, that lives in Colorado, and he was the first person that I ever knew personally that hunted coos deer. And so he would go down there in January, art, archery hunt them. And uh, he's got a really cool in- Instagram page and does a good job of showing what's going on there. And there were multiple years where I would see he'd he'd have a picture of a deer and a javelina uh, on his page after that hunt. And so he really got into it. And then he turned me onto the coos deer hunting, and that also. I kind of discovered Havelina a little bit on my own, but that also kind of reinforced that that interest in it, just hearing hearing about it uh, from him, yeah, that's
0: that's yeah, I got to get down there and do that. <laughs> it's tough with us because sometimes we're we're doing some work commitments that are we're already traveling in January, um which makes it difficult, but one of these days, I just have to block out the time and make it happen in terms of hunting Havelina, well, let me back up to this. We talked earlier about, you know, a lot of guys treat javelin as this bonus species, something fun to hunt, whatever, but not great eating. I know some guys who have eaten them heavily are known to just be flat out stinky critters. Uh, And like many animals, they do have specific scent glands. And so I've certainly talked to some folks that said, Hey, if you, if you do things properly, if you handle and dispose of their scent glands without contaminating meat, they can definitely be edible and not terrible. But I think part of the reputation is they are just so stinky period that a lot of guys don't mess with it or don't know how to take care of them.
1: Um, what has been your experience there? Yeah, that's been my experience where I remember reading S- somewhere, it, it was probably one of actually one of the meat eater books, specifically talking about that scent gland, and the advice that he gave was bring two pair of gloves, bring two knives, and then as soon as you get a javelina down, cut that scent gland off, then put those gloves and that knife aside, and then b- butcher the rest of the animal as you normally would and you do it quickly do all the normal things that you would if you had a deer or an elk down or anything like that with cooling it and taking care of the meat and all of that stuff and um i've done that on every javelina that i've killed and it's, it's worked really well i would not say that it is like the best tasting meat ever but it's also been pretty good you know i slow cook mm-hmm. it and do some things in that nature handle it kind of like i would pulled pork or, or or something like that and it's been it's been very good food yeah are they pretty lean i would assume yeah definitely yeah.
0: Okay.
1: And one so, of the problems with them is there, there is just not a lot of meat on them either. They're, they're not big animals. Uh, yeah. so you get, um, you know, a, a couple of good meals out, out of them, but they're not, I would not say that they're a trash animal. Like some people think they might be, you know, certainly uh, if you shoot a, uh, javelina down in South Texas in August or something like that, where they are right. in the season there, you know, that, you know, that, that can also contribute to it with it being really hot and all of that stuff as well. Mm-hmm. I think on the hoof, I would say what they're 40 to 60 pounds, somewhere in that range. Probably. I'd say probably 30 to 40 pounds, 30 to yeah. 40 on the hoof. Yeah. yeah, They're not, they're not very big animals. I never put one on a scale, Okay, but it's one of those things that, um, everyone that I've shot, I've been able to pick it up, um, with, with, uh, with one, one arm and it's been not that right. big of a deal to do it. Just grab them both legs and, and move them around like that. Gotcha. Okay.
0: So breakdown, hunting them and obviously this may vary as in it does with anything if we're talking about elk or deer it's going to depend on tactics are going to be influenced or dictated by terrain by time of year etc but for guys like myself who have no idea how to truly begin to hunt javelina, like again I've I've talked with guys and they're talking about glassing them spotting herds spotting stalking their eyesight's not great but they're still not stupid so like I've heard you know different things but If we start from square one and guys are here and yeah, I want to go down there and give this a shot in January or February, whenever. And now they're looking at a state and going, where do I even start? Like, do you scout? Can you e-scout for example, for Havelina? or you just got to start covering ground. What does that look like from a guy who has is zero experience
1: and wants to give this a go? Yes, you can, you can e-scout to a certain degree for them. One of the nice things about them is that, um, their favorite food, especially in the areas where I've encountered them, is prickly pear cactus. And so, if you're seeing a lot of that or a lot of indicators of that on um, on Google Earth or whatever, then that's a good place to start. They don't like, or at least I've never seen them in really like actual heavy woods. You know, they like more of a desert scrub grassland type type of um, area. They also are not very tolerant of Cold weather or really windy weather. And so, if it's super cold outside, they're going or really windy, they're going to be in places where they have shelter from the wind. And um, if it's really cold, then they're not going to be moving around as much until like the sun comes up and it, and it warms up a little bit. And so, they do move around quite a bit during the day which is a nice thing about them. They, if it's really hot, you know, of course they'll, they'll, they'll try and be in a, a cooler, more shaded place or maybe even rest, you know, during the, the, the afternoon and they might come out at night, but that's usually not an issue if you're hunting during the javelina season. And a lot of these, the, the primary javelina season anyway, like I said, in January, February, that sort of thing. One of the things that makes them hard to hunt is they're not very big. Like I said, you know, they're only 30, 30, 40 pounds and they're maybe two feet tall. They're so, and they're also super well camouflaged. A couple of years ago, I shot one and I watched it run literally into a bush after I shot it. And I watched it go into that bush and it was like it completely vanished. Like I didn't see it go out the other side or anything, but I had a heck of a time oh, walking up to it and finding the darn Havelina. And I, I did find it and it just ran in there, and died and everything. Uh, but that really gave me an appreciation for how well camouflaged they are for the, for the terrain that they live in. And the fact that they are not very tall just means that it doesn't take a lot of vegetation to hide them. Just very short grass or or bushes or something like that will obscure them. Now, the good news about them is, is that they are usually in a group and finding javelina is usually the hardest part of the hunt. And so one of the things that I've basically started doing is I've, I've narrowed down, at least in the areas where I like to hunt a lot, I've narrowed down the sort of places where they like to be. And so it's easy for me to identify those places there. It will vary a little bit in different parts of Texas, New Mexico, Arizona. But like I said, if you're seeing a lot of prickly pear cactus, that's a good sign. And if you go out there and you are not seeing any javelina or any fresh javelina sign, then you need to move on to another place because it's one of those things that there's, if you usually, if you're up there and you listen closely because they are pretty noisy and they'll, you know, like I just, descri- like I did a bad job of imitating earlier, they do grunt and make those noises at predators and they fight with each other and that sort of thing. So there, there's been many times that I've been out there glassing and didn't see anything, but I heard something. That I was like, that's probably a javelina. And that really keyed in my interest on that area. So go out there, glass, look for tracks, look for their scat. You know, their tracks are are very small. They're about half the size of a deer. They look similar to a deer, um, you know, maybe a little over an inch long. And usually they'll be in groups, you know? So like I said, it's unusual to see one javelina by itself. It, It does happen on occasion, but for the most part, I'm seeing javelinas in a group of, you know, say four, five, six, seven, eight sometimes bigger, and their, their scat kind of looks like dog poop. Um, sometimes it can be a little bit uh, difficult to distinguish that from coyote poop, um, but but they do look different, and you, you just see enough of it. it it's, uh, it's easy to, to, to distinguish it. So mm-hmm. cover a lot of ground. You look for them. You look for their sign. If you don't see anything, then move on to another place that may look good. And the good news is, is that once you find them, they're probably not going to go very far unless someone really messes with them. On that mule deer hunt I was on, that first one I was just telling you about, when I would glass them, no one was in there messing with them. It was just me and a handful of other people in there hunting deer, and so no one was paying any attention to the javelina. Um, I saw those javelina. That same group, what I'm guessing was every every day I saw them at least once, and every time it was within about a thousand yard radius or where I'd seen them the previous day. So they don't, if they find a spot they like, they're going to be hanging out there where they got some. You, they, uh, a lot of food sources and protection from the elements, that sort of thing. They do mm-hmm. need to drink water, but they, especially when it's not real hot, they don't usually drink every day. Uh, but they do need some water. And like I said, they like prickly pear cactus and that sort of thing. Um, so, like I said, you move, 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 move. Then you find them. Then you kind of narrow in on it. And uh, then, then, like I said, that's that's the hard part. Um, you know. Glassing them is the most effective way I personally have found to do it. Um, and then they they move around kind of in a general area a lot. They mill around a lot. Um, so they're, they'll be, they are they'll they be may make it, you know, 50, 100, 200 yards before you, um, before you make it over there to them if you spot them a long way off. But it's not like um, they're going to cover a half mile or a mile or something like that. You know, like sometimes like an elk or something like that will sometimes. Mm-hmm
0: so even if you were to you know you're to call it a vantage point um because i assume especially with their with their low heights having some advantage to your position from a glassing perspective is definitely gonna definitely gonna help but if you're moving in you maybe lose sight of them you have to duck under some terrain or what have you as you said they're kind of probably going to be in that vicinity and then even then hopefully you can use some sound to your advantage to kind of close that
1: distance and help keep you moving in the right direction of where they're at. Definitely. And that has happened to me more than once where I've had javelinas that I did not know were there, uh, but then I heard them usually fighting with each other. And then that kind of keyed me in on a place to, to go to or just to focus my uh, uh, my attention on, you know, this past year. So I was up there uh, February 28th. So literally right in the middle of the, the season in New Mexico uh, this this story kind of um, it, it illustrates a, a lot of the aspects of javelina hunting pretty well. I got up there, I want to say Friday afternoon, set up camp, and it was super, super windy. Sometimes that area will get, you know, 40, 50 mile an hour winds going through it. And um, it can be pretty miserable out there sometimes. And so what often happens is you'll get a couple days of just ridiculous wind and then just like a super calm day. And then a couple more days of ridiculous wind and then another really calm day. And so I got up there Friday, very, very windy. And I got up to a glassing point and I was really having a hard time glassing. Not a lot of stuff moving around out there. And you know my my binoculars were shaking and all that stuff because it was so darn windy and everything. I saw just a couple deer. That was it. And I was like, all right, uh, this spot's not a good one. I'm going to go to a different one. So Saturday morning, I was in a different spot. saw a couple deer, but once again... Not, not a lot that really got me excited. I tried again Saturday afternoon at a different spot, and luckily the wind was pretty constant th- through that time period. So I was like, all right, the way this canyon is oriented, um, there's some shelter from the wind in there. and So I'll be able to get out of it and I'll be able to glass better. And I'll bet this is where a lot of the animals are hanging out right now just to get out of the wind. And so I get in there and I immediately start seeing deer, which, okay, that's a great sign. You know, I saw more deer in that first 30 minutes than I did the whole you know, just 24 hours previous. And then I heard Havelina start fighting in there. I just heard one grunt and I was like, okay, this is, this is what I want. And it was pretty thickly vegetated in there. So I couldn't see them yet, but I was like, all right, they're here. This is where I'm going to, I'm going to stay here and I'm going to focus my attention. And I glassed for another maybe hour or so. And then I saw a javelina kind of come up over a, a ridge in front of me, about 500 yards away. And that was in the general direction that I'd heard them fighting earlier. So I marked it on onyx and then I started moving in and, or I marked it where I thought they were on onyx and I started moving in and it was, like I said, 500 yards away or so, I had about an hour of, of light left. So I make it over there and luckily the wind is, I got a crosswind, it's blowing from right to left as I'm moving in on them. So, okay, the wind is good, um, which is the most important thing, just like hunting deer or elk, Havelina have a great nose and that is their primary defense against predators. So I got in there and they weren't, they weren't uh, visible. I, I, I got to where that tree was, where I thought that javelina was, and they were gone. And I had only seen one of them, but it was kind of moving around all over the place in there where when they're, they're actively feeding, they'll, they'll focus a lot on what they're doing. And then they'll move five yards and eat for another 30 seconds and then move five yards in a different direction. They kind of move in a big circle. Oftentimes it is generally moving in one direction. In this case, it was into the wind. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to, the good news is, you know, say 20, 30 minutes to uh, dark. Now the wind is uh, blowing actually from my, where I parked my truck, you two miles away. Uh, So I'm going to kind of start heading in that direction. And hopefully that's also the same direction that the Hevelina went in. And so I start moving very slowly in that direction. And um, then I heard Havelina start grunting and, and making noise in front of me again. So, okay, they're still here, but they're a lot closer this time. And the the rule of thumb that I have heard and that I try to abide by with Havelina hunting is um, you can move pretty boldly, you know, till you get, say, 100, 100 to 150 yards away from where you think they are. They're not blind, but the fact that they're so short makes them hard to spot, but it also makes them. Uh, kind of at a disadvantage in that way as well, where they also uh, don't see that great, you know, I think their eyesight is okay, but like I said, they're loaded to the ground. And so everything that hides them also kind of blocks their view as well. So you get, so the, the rule of thumb that I use, you get to say a hundred yards or so really slow down, start being very deliberate and careful with your movements. And as long as the wind is in your favor, and as long as you're not making loud, um, loud noises especially very non natural noises like metal on metal or a zipper or velcro or something like that you'll probably be okay because they normally live in a group so a twig snapping or a rock getting kicked and rolling that doesn't irritate them so much as you know cocking a rifle would be or something like that 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 they you know that's definitely not another javelina that uh, that they're hearing so right. i slowed down started being very deliberate moving in closer and closer and closer and then, um, I saw something in front of me and I looked and it was havelina he was maybe 50 yards away. Um, he was doing what they often do, rooting around on the ground and eating something. I think there was a bunch of nuts that were coming off a lot of the trees around there that they were eating. And, um, so I very, very carefully started kind of moving from cover to cover, closing the distance a little bit. I probably could have shot him there, but I wanted to get closer. And, um, luckily Havelina are much more uh, tolerant of that sort of thing than say, a, especially like a mule deer or something like that is you can get away with a lot more with them than you can with other animals. And so that's one of the cool things is someone that's an inexperienced hunter, or you know, new to the sport or something like that. It's a good way to kind of get in some reps and just kind of practice stalking an animal. And I got to within say 30 or so yards or so, I kind of ran out of cover and there was a big open space between him and me. And so I said, okay, um, this is probably, this is as far as I'm going to go. I'm going to shoot him here. So I, you know, very carefully caught my muzzle loader, aim it, and I wait for him to stop. He turns broadside and I shoot him. And, um, so I was using the muzzle loader. So there was smoke everywhere. And then, uh, but I very clearly hit him. He squealed and he ran two complete circles and fell over like eight to 10 yards from where he was when I shot him. And almost immediately after I did that, um, after he fell over three more javelina come out of the bushes from behind him. And they. They stood around kind of looking at this dead javelina in front of them, trying to figure out what the heck is going on. And I actually got a pretty good uh, video on my on my cell phone is of me walking up to them and they just kind of look at me for a minute, kind of figuring out what the heck is going on. And then I yell at them and then they they all start grunting and running off. And so that is another thing that can happen a lot with Havelina, is especially if you're hunting with a buddy, um, you can if things go well, it's, it's not unreasonable to expect that you guys can double up and shoot two, maybe even three javelina out of a herd like that. Because like I said, they're usually together. And those javelina were doing their own thing, maybe you know, 20 yards away from that javelina that I shot. And they didn't quite know what the heck was going on until they saw me. Um, so if I would have had another tag, I, I, like I said, I think New Mexico only has a has a one javelina limit. So I couldn't have done it legally, but if I had another tag or if um, someone would have been with me, they could have shot one of those. So this is like, okay, that's really cool. And then um I start walking up to it and I start getting them ready to take a picture and then start butchering it. And while I'm doing that, two more Havelina come out of the woods right next to me. And I had to scare them off. And so I think all told there was about seven or so Havelina in this group that at least I saw with my own eyes. There might have wow. been more. And so one of the other things you got to kind of keep in mind is because they're small, hard to see, they're well camouflaged, they move in groups like that. Um, a story that often kind of comes up and this has happened to me before too, is you see a javelina and you start walking up on it, getting ready to take a shot. And there's a javelina. So that javelina is say 50 yards away, there's a javelina 10 yards away from you that you didn't know was there. And then you bump into that javelina accidentally scare it and then scare the whole, whole uh, group of them off. And so you got to really pay attention to everything that's going around and uh, going on around you and try not to get target focused, which is really hard to do. Mm. Uh, but you know, they They could be anywhere around there, like I said, they're usually not by themselves, and so you know who knows where that other one's gonna be if you find one
0: hmm.
1: with them being vocal, and
0: he said, just you know grunting and things like that, are there any I feel like I've heard someone talk about using calls strategically with javelina. Is that something that, am I making this up or misremembering? No, people something do that. Tried? So
1: I, I have never done that personally. I have heard stories of people using a, uh, a sound that kind of mimics like a piglet distress sound or something like okay. that. And uh, that is one of those things that um, I have heard anyway. Like I said, I've never done it myself, that it can work really well, especially maybe if you spook one or if you're in an area where it's super, super thick, like many places in South Texas where it's flat, really thick can be hard to see them. You get into an area where you think they might be and start blowing on that distress call and that may bring them to you. And sometimes it works really well, but I've heard that if it has been overused, then that can actually, you know, scare them away from you. Okay. Yeah. That's what,
0: you know, when you're talking about multiple javelina and potential for busting them, that's where my head was going of like, you think of turkeys, right? And sometimes you bust up a flock and then you start trying to, um, call them back and gather them back in and use that specifically as a tactic. I was curious if there's any correlation there or any potential for that, you know, being the case with Havelina
1: Yeah, I would, I would say so, you know, especially if you've, if you've blown them out of there anyway, and you've, um, you've already kind of missed your opportunity at this instant, it certainly could be worth the try to do that. And I have heard stories of guys doing that successfully, now the other good news about javelina is that unless they're really heavily hunted, and this does happen in some places, um, if you bump them, they're probably not going to go that far. Like you might be done hunting that afternoon or that morning for them, but you know they'll be, like I said, probably a half mile away or less, and you can you know, have another crack at them, you know, a few hours or the next day or something like that. You know, they're not going to go probably into the next county or anything like that. Yeah. Hmm.
0: Anything else just about their, whether it's called their behavior, their patterns, anything that's kind of about the species itself that would help hunters, um, that you haven't already, I mean, you've already touched on a lot there, so maybe nothing comes to mind, but just
1: curious. It is, they're an interesting animal and there's not a tremendous amount of, of, uh, sexual dimorphism between them. Like the males are usually a little bit bigger than the females, But, you know, like I said, we're talking about a 30 to 40 pound animal when it's fully grown. So it's not like, you know, they're twice the size of of a female or anything like that. So they are usually similar in size. Um, You know, it's not like they have antlers or anything like that, like a deer or an elk that makes them very obvious to tell apart. So a lot of javelina, I think actually almost all javelina tags are either sex. The good news is that if you're hunting uh, during, you know, the the late winter, early spring timeframe, the you're probably not going to be any babies in a herd. Um, They can breed any, any month of the year, but it seems like in a lot of places they um, most of their births occur during the summertime. And so by that time, they're almost full grown. And so you're going to run into a group of javelina that are, at least has been the case with me where you'll run into say eight of them. And there'll be a couple of them that are maybe a little bit smaller, but still, you know, decent size. And then, you know, a few that are, you know, for quote unquote average size, and maybe one of them that's a little bit bigger. And, um, so quite often what it boils down to is you shoot the biggest one that you can see. And oftentimes, but not always, that'll be a boar. Um, boars, like I said, are a little bit bigger. Um, if you see them from behind and you get a good look from them, that way you can see their testicles like that, just like you would on a pig mm-hmm. and, um, older Havelina in general, And I think this does apply to both sows and boars, but they have uh, white knees where they'll get down onto their knees to, to eat sometimes or to drink. And, you know, they live in kind of rocky, rough terrain. And so that'll doing that for years at a time, will tear up their knees and rub the hair off of them. And so if you see a javelina that's, that has white knees, white knees, and especially if it's a little bit bigger, it's something that's worth, um, you know, that may, that might be the one you want to shoot there. They're okay. scored, if you care about the record books or anything like that, they are scored uh, by their skull size. Uh, so the length, just the length at the longest po- point plus the width at the longest point. And uh, if you wanted to get taxidermy done from them, they do make a pretty good skull mount. Um, and I actually, I have a couple of them sitting on my uh, on my bookshelf and they look pretty cool. So you're just doing a skull cleaning, just like a Euro clean skull? Yeah, yeah, just exactly. Just bleach it and have it sitting there. I have it, have it with yeah. my bare skull and yeah uh, all all that stuff so what is the what's the size of
0: that just like four or five inches you know in length if that
1: i mean what's the what's their skull size like um maybe i'm looking at it right now gosh maybe maybe six inches long something like that six Six to nine inches long i'll I'll send you a picture of it you know it's uh it's a decent size you know i've i've shot a couple of um, pr- pretty good size borders. I don't think anything you know dramatic. You know, I, I checked. They made the SCI minimum, so that's you know an indication of, a, of, of at least a good animal, uh, if not necessarily a, an, an amazing one. Um, it was funny. I actually talked with Joseph von Benedict about this, and he said his brother shot one down in South Texas uh, that was actually. God, it was either close to or might have even been the archery record for the state of Texas javelina at the time. Mm-hmm. And he said that that Havalina they weighed it, it, weighed 60 pounds. So it was a really big javelina had, and it also had a really big skull. So you do run into ones that are you know, really big like that sometimes, but that is, that is the unusual ones. It's wild.
0: I didn't even, uh, I wouldn't even have thought of,
1: you know, measuring in skulls
0: and all that stuff with Javelina. It just wasn't like, to me, it's like, it's this fun little critter to go chase around. Right. But that guy's, I mean, I wouldn't say there's obviously trophy Javelina hunters, but it is cool to, you know, as you said, shoot, shoot the biggest one you see. And like, what, is, what does that mean? Like you can measure it. You can have some standards to look at as neat. One of the guys Actually, Josh Kirchner, who lives down in Arizona, I remember him telling me he was taking a buddy have Alina hunting their residence. Um, and he just thought it was great practice for his friend being a newer bow hunter. Just because you are creating shot opportunities, they're not, you know, as you said, necessarily incredibly difficult to to get in on and really create those opportunities. And so to me that stuck out as well of there may be guys listening to this who are just newer hunters, newer big game hunters. And maybe this trip for, you know, Havelina is just like a cool, as I said, off-season opportunity to to go get some reps in, to practice stalking, to practice glassing, to practice shooting. It's obviously a smaller target, you know, so it's uh it's cool to think of it in that context.
1: No, oh, that is definitely right, and that's one of the other cool things about it. You know, like we've talked about, the tags are easier to get. It's not super expensive. Um, you are create, like you said, you know, you're creating your own opportunities. It's it's um, kind of a more um, action packed and dynamic hunt. You're not just sitting there for hours at a time, usually uh, waiting for a deer to walk by your deer stand or something like that. And they are a little bit more forgiving, so it's just kind of one of those animals where you can. Um, get out there. And like you said, get in some reps and get in some reps where the stakes are not as high. Um, if you've never hunted before, or if you've never bow hunted or hunted with a muzzle loader before, you know, that's a, like I said, get out there, get some practice, get some reps on a, on a live animal where, um, your odds of success are probably a little bit higher than they would be for, for some other things. And and the cost of failure is just a little bit lower. Anything else,
0: uh, Guys are listening to this, new to the opportunity. You know, obviously we can't answer every single question or detail, but I feel like we've hit number one, applications. Uh, There are over-the-counter opportunities, but as we said, at least for Arizona, a deadline coming up soon um, for the application. And costs, we've talked about, you know, the different uh, states you can hunt them in, some basics on scouting, on terrain, vegetation, tactics, behavior. So I feel like we've laid a good groundwork. But anything else you comes to mind that you feel like we might be missing for someone who's listening to this is like me is new, new to the whole
1: idea of hunting javelina. I think that covers it really well as far as javelina go. And you know, like I said, if you were hunting in New Mexico this year or you know any year in the future, especially if you're gonna be hunting in the southern half of the state where you know there might be javelina there, consider getting a javelina tag to just take with you on your on your deer or your or your elk hunt, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I there have been several seasons that I wish that I would have done that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And on that point, just to mention New Mexico, and again, i my head is thinking of guys who are newer here. Um, New Mexico is one of those states where they essentially have a true lottery system for, um, you know, their limited hunts. And so, you know, there's many States where you have to go and play the game and collect points and do uh, preference points or bonus points or do all those things. But New Mexico is a state where you can just apply in a straight lottery for some really good opportunities with elk hunting and deer hunting, uh, shoot exotics uh, that they have in New Mexico and other species. So just want to mention that as well if guys are listening to this and you're new or maybe put New Mexico on the radar as one of those states that you consider for hunting opportunities and then maybe tack that uh, javelina on with that elk hunt or that deer hunt as you just mentioned.
1: You know, I have hunted uh, I've applied for, you know, every year in New Mexico for as long as I can remember and you know, as, as a non-resident, some guy that's in Wisconsin or Florida or something like that they can apply this year and have the same odds of drawing the tag that i do you know like you said you know it's a straight lottery no points or any of that stuff and so you know if you uh if you want to be hunting this year don't apply if you can't hunt obviously but yeah if you want to hunt this year or next year or whatever definitely worth applying there
0: yeah cool well john appreciate it we uh mentioned up front uh your website your podcast but just kind of a quick recap um for anyone who maybe wants to get in contact with you and ask some questions or at least follow what you're up to and we'll include these in the show description as well but what do you want to leave folks with there
1: sure thing check me out on the big game hunting podcast find it on anywhere you can uh, listen to podcasts my website is the big game hunting blog go to the biggamehuntingblog.com and uh you can also go to um some training that I got if you're interested in in hunting with a muzzle loader you know something that I got into is a way to get away from the crowds and get some extra hunting opportunities i still also hunt with a centerfire rifle but you know, with everything that's gone on with more hunters being out in the woods these days, and with the ammo shortage and all of that stuff, hunting with a muzzle loader is definitely worth considering. Um, and so, for that reason, I put together a, uh, a course where I teach people how to um, select the gear that they need, um, how to legally, safely, and effectively hunt with a muzzle loader. And I'll take you by the hand and, and just show you exactly what you need, how to use it that's that works is effective and is legal for you to hunt with because that really really varies from, from state to state and it's the really good thing is that um, even if you don't own a muzzle loader right now even if you don't hunt w- with one you can buy a good muzzle loader for a lot less than what it would cost you to to get a uh, a good center fire rifle and um, with my course you can actually get an exclusive discount on all of that stuff from one of the biggest muzzle loader retailers in the US um, so check it out at muzzleloaders101.com. I normally charge forty-seven dollars for that course, but I'm offering it at a discount right now to listeners of the Backcountry Hunting Podcast. You can sign up while it's still valid, and you get lifetime access to everything for just thirty-five bucks. So go to muzzleloaders101.com/slash-buy-buy and sign up to get started. Cool. Appreciate sharing that. As I
0: mentioned up front, that's a uh, an area. I want to learn more about. So I'll be, I'll be sure to check that out myself. Thanks for sharing. Um, and yeah, John, always appreciate the time, man. Uh, looking forward to get this one out there. And one of these days I'm going to get down there and, and make that
1: combo deer javelina hunt happen in January with my bow. I'm looking forward to it. Well, very good. I think that is a great plan and let me know when you make it down there and uh, maybe I'll be able to come out and join you. It was always a pleasure being on the show. Thanks for having me.
0: Well, that's a wrap on this episode, guys. I hope that gave you some information and inspiration for a hunt that maybe you've never considered before. As always, we appreciate you tuning in. You can contact us directly via email to podcast at exomountgear.com. If you're enjoying the show, we would appreciate it if you share it with a friend or leave us a review in the podcast app that you are using. Finally, don't forget about that Exo Experience contest that is running throughout this fall. Check out the link in the show description for more details on that